everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Hello, everybody. All right. Rob is here, and we are going to talk about movies because that's what we do. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit of news. We're going to talk about Jared Leto. Has his method acting gone too far? Uh, Apple TV Plus gets a surge after the Coda win. We'll talk about the movies upcoming in the box office, and we'll have a discussion about mind-bending movies. And, of course, our watch list. All right, Rob, let's get started. Uh, So our first story, since uh, I decided we'd go back to some of our old stuff and we just cover a few news stories. That, uh, that have popped up in the movie industry over the last uh, few weeks. And so this one I found to be rather interesting. Uh, Morbius debuted in the theaters last week and took home number one at the box office at uh, a little over $39 million. And uh, an interesting story was circulating around about Jared Leto, the lead actor who plays Michael Morbius. And Jared Leto, for those who are unfamiliar, is famously method in his acting, which often involves uh, doing crazy things to get into character and or stay in character. Um, I believe he famously gained a significant amount of weight and then lost lost all of it in a really short amount of time, which led to some health problems for a previous movie. Uh, but in this one... Uh, The story is, and this comes uh, from uh, the director, Daniel Espinosa, that the production was regularly, routinely slowed for long periods of time because Leto was taking lengthy trips to the bathroom. Now, why were there lengthy trips to the bathroom? Because he was attempting to go to the bathroom on crutches because his character was on crutches. And so he would take 45-minute bathroom breaks because it was taking him forever to get to and from the bathroom on crutches and routinely falling and stumbling and all of that type of thing. Uh, This, in fact, slowed production so heavily that they tried to get a compromise in which they would take him in a wheelchair to the bathroom back and forth just so that he didn't have to break character. (laughs) Rob, what what do you make of this? I think there's a difference between being a method actor and being a giant dummy. (laughs) (laughs) There are other words I could use, but that's probably the best ones as we're a somewhat family friendly podcast. (laughs) Um, I really, really like Jared Leto as a musician uh, because that's what he was first 30 seconds to Mars. Um, But as an actor with, how he handles things i think he's a little insane i think he's kind of a nutcase um i'm not going to go into the things you can look them up and find them yourself but some of the things he did uh when he was playing the joker were like disturbing Mm -hmm. uh, uncomfortable um and this just seems like it's a giant inconvenience to everyone Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure why he would think it's a good idea uh, it just kind of makes him look like an idiot, personally. That's how I feel. 
I get that every, and you know, it talks about the directors time kind of saying, well, everyone's got their process and we do what we can to support it and all that sort of stuff. I mean, just come out and say, the guy acted like a jerk. <laughs> the guy was being a jerk. I mean, I know you want to stay in character, but like, if you can't get in and out of the character of Michael Morbius easily enough, I mean, it's it's Michael Morbius. I mean, come on, man. Like, if, if, if you can't switch that on and off a little bit, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, actors and, and famous people in general are notorious for uh, being rude to the people they're working with. <laughs> I, that's what strikes me is just it's, it's a crazy excuse to just be rude to everyone around you. <laughs> That's what it's struck mm-hmm. me as. Um, have, have a little common courtesy to, to all the people who are working around you and all the people who are just standing there while you, you know, crutch your way to the bathroom back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows you don't actually need the crutches, man. Come on. So I, I don't know. I mean, who knows what uh, makes actors and all that stuff do what they do? I certainly don't. And, uh, you know, famous things between that and like rock band writers and between rock band writers and actors, method acting stories, uh, the amount of ridiculousness uh, just continues to exceed. Any other any other thoughts on Jared Leto? Uh, no, I just think I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really don't know how this like the. It seems like this should be hurting his ability to get jobs, but somehow it, it doesn't seem to be. So mm-hmm. I guess it's just going to be accepted and they're going to pander to him and, until he stops making people money. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the long and short of it. Like if you're good at what you do, people let you get away with a lot of things. And then mm-hmm. too often it gets ascribed as the reason you are good, as opposed to just a barrier to you being better. Mm-hmm. So. Profound insight from Ryan here this afternoon. Hey, there we go. <laughs> That's what we're here <laughs> for. That's what we do on this podcast. Come on, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on from Jared Leto, uh, the fallout continues from the Oscars. And no, we're not talking about Will Smith's failing career. Uh, we are talking about Apple TV Plus getting a surge in viewership uh, after its movie Coda won the Oscar for Best Picture. Yes, uh, Apple TV Plus has seen a dramatic increase, uh, 25% uh, increase in its streaming numbers of viewers. The movie itself is up 300% from the previous week. And Apple TV kind of makes its viewer, its uh, total viewership hidden. So we don't know a huge amount about this, Uh, but not surprising from the standpoint that this would drive people uh, to the streaming service. Uh, Big news in that this was the first movie put on by a streaming service exclusively to win uh, a Best Picture Oscar. Uh, So what do you make of the increase uh, for Apple TV Plus? Yeah, I don't think it's surprising at all if you win the biggest award in Hollywood, according to the people who hand out those awards. Yeah. People are going to want to see the movie. And maybe it's a signal to those of us who follow these things that 
when one of these movies is nominated from a streaming service, we should make the effort to watch it because uh, certainly going forward, this is going to become a regular occurrence as far as movies being at least nominated from these kind of services. So whether they win or not will be another story, but we had a couple this year. So it's going to be something that we'll have to start tracking and paying attention to because not every movie that wins the awards, it looks like will be coming out in the uh, wide release anymore. So. Yeah. And that's, that's always interesting. I mean, we come back to this question on a regular basis. Okay. Different streaming services can do different things to get a a short-term surge in viewership. The question constantly remains is how many of these people stay? Um, How many of the people stay with Apple TV plus afterwards? Uh, They have a decent lineup of stuff, but they don't have anywhere near the the volume of content that most of the other streaming services have. Um, So what does it mean to Apple TV plus long-term? Especially given the fact that there are some free trials available. If you've never signed up for one of those, uh, it's $5 a month. So it's not an extremely expensive streaming service. Uh, but it remains to be seen uh, the long-term impact of individual films versus an entire collection uh, as to as to what what is the goal? Is the goal, you know, just luring people in month to month or is the goal retaining subscribers long-term? Obviously they want to, but um, how is that plan playing out? Yeah, we'll just see how these services continue to evolve and um, what the purchase of the studios for some of these will do. And um, very intriguing to see what the model becomes, because obviously this is a direct result of what happened with the pandemic, that things have started to shift a little bit towards um, being released on these services and actually being considered and now actually winning major awards i wonder i wonder if it might also lead to a kind of reverse push too now that streaming services know that their their offerings can work uh, to win oscars and those type of things i wonder if there's going to be more of an inclination to put some of them in the box office to try and take some of the box office money as well as adding subscribers to the subscriber base. I wonder if they're gonna go after that audience as well. Uh, I would think they would do that. We might we might get some indication with the story um, we talked about a while ago with uh, MGM and with Amazon buying MGM. So they're gonna have a legitimate movie studio that have, you know, relationships with the with the box office to be able to do that. It will be interesting to see if there's almost a reverse of this uh, streaming services than putting their movies out in theaters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, that's what we got on the news front. Uh, now, in terms of what's opening in the box office this weekend, we have three movies of note opening in the box office this weekend. Uh, the first one is the film Ambulance. Now, Ambulance is a story about uh, two robbers steal an ambulance after their heist goes awry. And this is a 
Um, this is another Michael Bay movie. So, you know, you're going to get lots of action, lots of explosions. Um, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, uh, a number of other actors who've been in some things, but are not, uh, are not insanely famous. And uh, that's Ambulance. So that's, that's your action one uh, for the weekend. Uh, if you're into more kid-friendly movies, you have Sonic the Hedgehog 2 comes out. And the point of this movie, when the manic Dr. Robotnik returns to Earth with a new ally, Knuckles the Enchindna, I didn't say that right, uh, Sonic and his friends, tail, friend Tails, is all that stands in their way. Um, now, this particular movie... Uh, ben Schwartz is the voice of Sonic. You have Idris Elba is going to be in this one. You have, of course, have Jim Carrey and uh, James Marsden, and so a lot, a lot of, a uh, lot of cast for for Sonic the Hedgehog. And uh, the third movie is Cal. Uh, now, Cal is is uh, another interesting one. It's not pulling up here at the moment. All right, a different way. Uh, did you see, first of all, did, while I'm doing this, did you see uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, the first one, since you're... Uh, I, I did. What, what did mm -hmm. you think of the first one? I was pleasantly surprised by it. I thought it was a solid movie. I thought it was funny. I thought it had good action and a decent storyline, and Jim Carrey was great as Dr. Robotnik. So I'll certainly be seeing the second one, either by myself or with my kids. And uh, the third one, Cow, is in fact a close-up portrait of the daily life of two cows. It is a documentary. So you get a nice cow documentary if you're into farm animals there. Uh, Rob, uh, what insights or opinions do you have on this week's releases? Some people might call me utterly ridiculous for okay. this, but I think I will... <laughs> <laughs> Continue to milk these metaphors for as long as I can. And uh, I'm not sure about cow. Um, I might have about 2% interest in it. But I am looking forward to seeing Sonic. And I'm definitely uh, looking forward to seeing... What was the first movie? <laughs> ambulance. <laughs> yes, Ambulance. Ambulance is something I have been looking forward to since I saw the trailers for it. Because it looked like Michael Bay from the 1990s. Yeah. transported into 2022 it did so have I, a, a bad i don't think it's gonna be good it. yeah i don't think it'll be good but i think it will be fun yeah 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 so i'm really interesting interested in seeing if he's able to like make the action homogenous for the rest of the storyline yeah that That's is that is like. the critique of of michael bay and i'm just gonna either pretend you're not still saying these things or find <laughs> the mute button or whatever i can <laughs> <laughs> to be fair my jokes are pretty legendary uh, indeed <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> yeah for for me the clear choice here is ambulance um it looks like it looks like a classic michael bay action movie um he is known for his excesses especially when it comes to explosions and going overboard on on the special effects portion of the action and going uh, soft on the story itself. Um, and, and so he has this reputation. Uh, you know, he's got, he's had a little bit of an M. Night Shyamalan arc in which people 
you know, loved him at first and then got tired of him in the middle as he seemed to be more of a one trick pony. Uh, but he's had a little bit of a revival. So I think Ambulance should be a decent action movie if you're into going into the box office. Uh, all right. That is what's opening this weekend. So head out to your local theaters. Now to move on to our discussion for the week. Uh, we're going to talk about mind-bending movies. Uh, we'll give a few of our favorite mind-bending movies, and there are quite a few of them. Both of us came up with a number of options. Um, but first, let's let's kind of get into what are mind-bending movies. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the broader scope of them before we get into it. So... Um, I just found a couple of quick definitions and we can vary them based on our own personal preference or tailoring to this. Uh, but this uh, one definition, mind-bending movies can refer to as a thing or a thought or a movie that can cause you to think again and again. It is of a movie, it is said to be mind-bending when the story of a movie takes turns and the script forces you to think again and watch the movie that and after watching sorry I'll, I'll read that again uh, the movie is said to be mind-bending when the story of a movie takes turns and the script forces you to think again after watching the movie about what has actually happened so that's just kind of that's just kind of an indication uh of a definition there for mind-bending and we can describe whether we like that or not uh uh, but what for you, uh, how does how does that definition sound for mind bending? What would you add or or change about that? I think one of the hallmarks of a mind bending movie to me is that it requires you to watch the movie more than once. Yes, I agree. And so that by definition means that mind bending movies are not for everyone. Right. And I, I don't think that's something that should be held against people. Some people just want to watch a movie to escape. They don't want to watch a movie to think. They don't want to watch a movie to have to go back and rewatch it. I know some people who don't watch movies more than once. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, some of these movies I've watched more than 10 times probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I enjoy watching movies that have a well-articulated storyline with twists in them that cause you to change your perception of what you've watched. Mm -hmm. And even better, it's even better if there's something in there that makes you want to discuss philosophically what actually just happened. Yeah. In the movie. Yeah, and totally. yeah, I think that that concept is really the whole genesis of where this podcast came from in the first place that we wanted to talk about, you know, what did we just watch? Yeah. Um, when there's a really good movie that had something unique happen in it, there's, where's the forum to talk about that and to share that conversation with other people? Yeah. Yeah. These are the movies you talk about. These are the movies that you go back to again and again and you talk about. For me, uh, now this might be a, a tighter definition than some other people would have. And for me, there has to be a sense of uncertainty that pervades in the movie. Like you have to have a feeling of wondering what's happening, at least to some extent. Um, 
Second, the next thing it needs, it, it needs to have whoa moments. Like, whoa, what, what just happened? Wait, wait, what is going on? What just happened? Is that possible? How did, how did that happen? It's the type of thing that makes you, you turn to the person next to you and like, wait, wait a second. Does this really mean this? Is this what's happening? Uh, it's a movie that you have to spend time afterwards thinking about, talking about, parsing, uh, parsing through it. Uh, and like you said, it has to be something you want to see again. For me, it's not simply a plot twist at the end that makes you rethink the whole movie. Um, it can be. It can have that in it for me. Uh, but that in and of itself is not enough to make it a mind-bending movie. Because if I was relatively clear on what was happening throughout the entire movie, and then you switch something up on the end and it, it changes everything that sense of uncertainty was not pervasive throughout the movie for me. So there has to be a little bit of that going on throughout the movie, but that's just a, that's just a, my personal definition of it. Uh, so for, for these, when it, when it's working, when one of them does really well, uh, what, I think we just kind of covered some of the characteristics of, of that. Uh, what happens, let's go with this. What happens when it doesn't work? When when they uh, tries to make a mind men movie and it doesn't it it's not good or it doesn't work why why with that I think one of the challenges when it comes to making a movie like this especially when you're creating a new world is giving enough space to the world creation the world building hmm. to make what's happening make sense because if you're introducing this whole new thing if there, there's a fine line between talking down to the general audience and overfeeding the general audience. Yeah. And I think the best movies like this find that middle ground. Mm -hmm. And so you get an understanding of what's happening, but it doesn't come too quick. Because if it comes too quick, it's not going to really be that mind-bending feeling if it doesn't come at all you're going to be confused and not want to think more about it because i i think in some situations where movies like this have not succeeded it's that they put too much responsibility on the people watching it to get it and if you're not able to get it then what's the point <laughs> you want people to engage with what you're creating you know yeah, for me, when it doesn't work is when the director feels lost, where the director, it feels like the director doesn't know where the story is going. Um, you know, Christopher Nolan is famous for doing mind-bending movies, but you never get a sense when you're watching one of his movies that he doesn't know what's happening, that it wasn't planned out, that it's not prepared, that there's not a purpose behind it. You never get that sense when you watch his movies. Some of these that you had attempted mind-bending movies, it really feels like the director has no idea where the story is going. And that's a problem. <laughs> um, another thing is uh, sometimes movies get, the plot is overly complicated just for the sake of being overly complicated, uh, not because of its necessity, not because it was intelligently written or it's, or it's asking too much, kind of like you said, you know, they're asking too much of the audience. Uh, for me, sometimes people just put in levels of complexity to try and make it sound intelligent or seem intelligent or seem like it's complicated. And it's just a lot of over, over development. 
Uh, and the last couple of things is if there's, if the payoff at the end isn't worth what you went through the entire movie, then it fails. If the, if the payoff at the end, the twist, the story, whatever happens in the other part, if it sometimes, sometimes when you do a twist ending, for instance, it negates everything that came before it. And then you just feel like what I, what I watched didn't mean anything. And that's when it fails or when the payoff is so small at the end, after all the work you put in to understand it going the whole way, then it doesn't work. And lastly, yeah, I think it's yeah. a, a, a true, like effective twist at the end of the movie is something that enlightens and emphasizes what already happened in the movie. Mm -hmm. Instead of completely changing, it makes you look back and go, oh, oh, like I didn't get that at first, but now that I see this happens and a movie that I think really fits that perfectly and is not on either of our lists. So I'll just mention it briefly because to me, I, it very, it's, I'm not sure if it fits the category of mind bending movie to me, but it was listed when I looked up what mind bending movies are. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the prestige mm -hmm. uh, because the end of the prestige to me, like completely yeah. it brings clarity to things that you've seen earlier in the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It makes you look at them in a completely different way yes. than you had at first. And I think that's when it's done really, really well. Whether and or not that's a mind-bending movie can be up for debate, but mm -hmm. um, I guess just in the sense of it making you reconsider what you actually saw, then it does fit that category. Yeah, that's definitely, that's a good example of when it works. Um, a classic example of when it doesn't work is the whole thing where you get to the end of the story and you find out it was all a dream. Mm. And the person wakes up like that kind of cliched storyline where it's like, oh, well, everything I just invested in is now useless and worthless. That would be the kind of example of a plot that doesn't pay off uh, and, and makes a mockery of everything that you were invested in. That'd be an example of that. All right. Uh, let's get into let's get into our list and we, we can go back and forth on this one. I'll let you uh, give the first one on your list of mind bending movies. So the first one on my list. I, th I could argue is the ultimate mind bending movie when it comes to this made us reconsider what we could do in a movie or mm -hmm. this made us really question what, you know, what's possible. And that would be the matrix mm -hmm. because, and I, th I feel that this movie is top, it's top of my list here because like we talked about when you're building a world from scratch, you need to make it, accessible enough that people want to keep paying attention but not explaining everything too quickly and i think the matrix does a really good job of that the first movie in particular yeah um because it draws you into the story right away with you know him being getting this phone and being called and having to run for his life and you're wondering what in the world is going on and it just the scope of the world just grows and grows and grows throughout the entire movie and I think they just did the Wachowskis did just a fantastic job um, with this story, introducing this story. You can make an argument about whether the follow-ups did that well or not, but um, the original one, I think, is be because of what it was, because of how it told the story, I will make the argument that I think it's probably one of the most influential movies ever. 
because I think it just set a, set a paradigm for sci-fi that so many other people copied elements from and themes from ever since it came out in 1999. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking back on it, it was the perfect movie that sat on the exact knife edge of where everything was culturally. The, the, the growing use of technology and what that meant and sitting right there on the edge of it. It was a perfect balance of that. The other thing, you know, and I'll, I'll use this to connect between yours and, and my next one is I think a lot of times there has to mind bending movies that are really, really done well, have a deep philosophical underpinning that comes out heavily. Uh, were you done with that one, by the way? Yeah. Okay. All right. So deep philosophical underpinning, which obviously the matrix has, I mean, there was endless debate about the meaning of the matrix and, and the source material and, and all the philosophy surrounding that. And it was used uh, ever since uh, philosophically, but the same thing applies to the first one on, on my list of mind bending movies. And that's the fountain, uh, the fountain directed by Darren Aronofsky uh, came out in 2006. This movie is, aside from being a visual wonder has deep philosophical underpinning uh, talking about the meaning of life, uh, the meaning of death, uh, facing death with dignity. There's a lot of like Mayan, uh, Mayan cultural uh, ideas and philosophy in there. Um, and tremendous amount tremendous amount of philosophy underpinning it but what makes this thing so mind-bending is the story is being told from three different points of three different time periods and you're constantly going back and like wait a second this the in particular one of the time periods you kind of get the senses you get an idea is as is, is more of a fiction the uh, the futuristic time period in this you have no idea what's happening Throughout almost the entire movie, you're like, okay, what is, what is going on with this? What is happening? And you watch as, as the story kind of coalesces and all three of these individual time periods, and you start to make sense of one from the other. And it's just, it's the payoff on this one is so glorious if you're paying attention. Yeah, The Fountain is just a beautiful movie, visually, script wise, musically. Just it, it takes all the boxes for me. And uh, yeah, I, I really like how he brought the three stories together. Mm -hmm. And after you see it happen, when you rewatch the movie, you that's when you start to pick up on little clues and hints and things about each storyline. And that's when I think a mind bending movie is really successful when on watching it again, you find things, you see things that you didn't see the first time. All right, what's your next one? Uh, so my next one would be uh, Arrival uh, and uh, uh, Dennis Villanueva, obviously, and um, Amy Adams. Um, and it's Mark Ruffalo, correct? Jeremy Who, Renner. Oh, okay, Jeremy Renner. Yes, Jeremy Renner. Sorry. Sorry, Hulk. <laughs> 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 I had the wrong Marvel person. Uh, but yeah, this movie... I really like this because it kind of turns the whole 
aliens come to earth and destroy the earth idea on its head because that's so, so common in movies that they're coming to destroy and in this story really the aliens are coming and trying to provide understanding or gain understanding themselves and this movie is heartbreaking to me it's such an emotional movie because when you i'm not going to give away what happens when you get to the point where you realize what exactly has happened in this movie because of the communication with the aliens mm-hmm. it's devastating yeah to understand what the characters had to go through with the choices they made yeah yeah and i think it's just such a well-written script because you feel every ounce of the emotional impact which i think a lot of movies try really hard to have an emotional impact and they're like you should be feeling emotions now this is the song to feel emotions at this is you know, this person is crying now. You should feel sad. And when a movie does it well, it, you don't need any of those cues. Like, it's just there. And it's it's so strong in this movie for me. Um, I think it's probably one of the most natural emotional reactions I've had to any movie when you find out what, what actually was going on in the background of this movie. This movie is an expert master class in subtlety unfolding slowly in a way that that makes perfect sense to you going through and then gets rewritten as you go through it uh it it's it is it is it is an unexpected movie it is unexpected from uh like you said it turns the genre up, up on its head and it uses the classic tropes of the genre to build in the mystery within the story, uh, which is something that's hard to do. And yeah, Dennis Villanueva is one of the best. And this, yeah, movie, I, re- I remember. Yeah. I remember. I don't know if you remember. I remember when this movie was like being advertised for, and we saw trailers mm-hmm. for it and stuff. And the way they did that made it seem like it was going to be a classic, mm-hmm. like Aliens Coming to Earth movie. And then when you watched it, it was not anything like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, just a, it's it's an amazing movie. It is it is understated and subtle in ways that are so profound that it's uh, it it is a masterclass film. It really, really is. Uh, the next one on my list, I'm going with uh, Primer. Now we talked about Primer a while back in a, a podcast when we talked about time travel movies. <laughs> Uh, but for me, this is a classic, classic mind bender. Uh, anytime you get deep into the weeds on time travel movies, uh, you, you're you're setting up the case for a classic uh, mind bender, and this one is no exception. Um, it's done in a very no nonsense, uh, no frills way. Uh, the one criticism of the movie is that you can say that it's at times too technical. And at times slightly confusing or more than slightly confusing at times. Uh, But to see them take the logical conclusion of two average people inventing time travel and, and what they do with it as you're thinking through the different implications of time travel uh, is really stunning. And, And for, for an indie film, it really, really lends a lot of weight to, 
uh, to movies that you don't need all the special effects. You don't need all of the the high tech stuff if your story is well written and compelling. And, and Primer is a classic example of this. Yeah, real life consequences that matter mm-hmm. for people is something that movies struggle with. I think. Yeah. Uh, because you know when we think about our own lives and things we experience, it's like, oh, well, this, this is like nothing I experience is ever like the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you think about your conversations and how they go and how you handle things and how you approach your daily life. And when sometimes when you watch a movie, you're like, nobody ever, would ever talk like that. Nobody would ever do that. And I think this movie is a good example of if these two people are real people and they discovered this and worked through this, like it, it feels um, authentic, like how, how two people would handle it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of the key to this movie is most of the time when you get into time travel, there's a fantastical, almost supernatural element to it. I mean, let's just say Dr. Strange is a classic example of this, you know, it's warped, it's time bending, it's, it's unusual, but there's a fantasy element to it. There's a supernatural element to it. This has none of that, none of that at all. It's, it's, it's pure down to earth. And and that's what makes it. What else you got, Rob? All right. So the last of my major ones uh, was Annihilation. Mm-hmm. And I actually bought this movie on 4k and like uh, on a sale with arrival. So yeah, I bought it with about, arrival too. <laughs> yeah, talk about two good movies put together. Yes. Annihilation. I remember when we saw the trailers for this and heard things about it and we're just really intrigued by what is this going to be like? Because it sounds crazy. And then I think I at least speaking for myself, it turned out to be way crazier than I could have ever expected. And to create a world within our own world where essentially there are no rules. Um, there's, there's no limit on what kind of creature can be created or what can be done to human beings mentally and physically in a space because it's all being operated by a uh, sentient third party is frankly like harrowing and disturbing. But at the same time, it was, I would argue, beautiful. Um, And that's a really hard combination to pull off, putting all those things together. Um, But I think this movie really benefits from the authenticity of the acting um, from Natalie Portman and everyone else who's involved in the movie. It seems real. Oscar Isaac as well. it just seems like it makes sense. Like the characters' decisions make sense. Um, their actions when they're afraid makes sense. Um, nobody's like a superhero in this movie. They're regular people just trying to figure this out and inquisitive but terrified all at the same time. And I just, I love this movie. The one scene in the cave where the consciousness of this thing just comes out and you have all the light and color to me is probably one of the best scenes I've ever seen in 4k. 
And I think it would be hard to top it really because it's just, it's more than just an image. It's the feeling and the emotion that's invested into that sequence that makes it really powerful. And I think one last final thought on this Mm -hmm. one in particular, you said one of the aspects of mind bending movies is that it makes you go back to it and like talk about the philosophy and wonder what's going on. And this movie, I think you could watch in a limited amount of times and still not actually know what happened at the end. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think there is uh, a resolution. I think it's left up to uh, left up to the viewer to kind of decide what happened at the end of this movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And this one, um, what's interesting about this one is it really it has a horror tinge to it. It it doesn't go down the realm of being a complete horror movie, but there's a horror tinge to it, and. And what what makes this one so compelling is you are following along in the same mental space as the characters. You are confused in the same way the characters are confused. You're discovering things at the same time the characters are discovering things. So there's there's it, you really get the sense that you're taking the same journey the characters are, not that you're outside of it looking down onto it, uh, but that you really are engaged in the same pursuit that they are and you're just as confused as they are uh, now i won't the ending of this one is very very difficult i mean it's you know it's something you got to watch over and think about for for quite a while going forward um but it really it really does a nice job and i think too with the horror aspect it doesn't it doesn't go so deep into the horror like uh, an example like event horizon it was a classic like sci-fi slash horror movie and at the end it just goes delves straight into the horror aspect of things uh this one doesn't quite do that but really all cool. right what do you got all right the last one i'm going to go with is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um, this is a movie, this is one of those movies that I changed my opinion on after a while. I hated it the first time I saw it. Uh, after I was able, I came back to it later and was able to watch it again, I really, really started growing more and more appreciation for it. It is a, it is, it's right on the cusp of being too much for nonlinear storytelling. It it treads that line where long, where you get lost on a nonlinear story line, uh, but it, I don't think it crosses it. What's striking about this film and and the criticism of it would be that it's too weird. It's too weird at times. It's too unusual, and sometimes the weirdness overwhelms the power of the of the storytelling and the film and the emotional arcs of it. Um, sometimes the weirdness stands out and I think that's what I reacted to initially when I saw it but as I come around and I see the way they're crafting the characters and their way they're crafting this love story between these two people and and how it makes you come back and think through what you were watching again and again I think it fits all the hallmarks of of mind bending in a way that has has delivery and has payoff at the end yeah, this movie is one of my favorite movies. I think at some point we need to make our like top 50 movies of all time list. And when we do that, uh, this is in the top 10 
for me without a doubt. It's one of my top ten favorite movies. It's probably my top five. Um, I just I'm I'm a romantic at heart, and this movie hits all the right notes when it comes to how do you struggle through an actual real life relationship where there's hurt feelings and there's broken trust and um, you fight for somebody else mm-hmm. and just the strength of how much Jim Carrey's character is fighting for Kate Winslet's character that he would essentially go across time mm-hmm. to find her again is just a really powerful thing to me. Yeah. And the value again, with the philosophy stuff, the value of painful emotion and painful memories the value they have to you um, is, is a real theme throughout this movie, the value of painful memories and painful emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this version of experiencing the value of painful emotions more than um, inside out. Just gonna say <laughs> it. <Okay>. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and I have, I have to make this comment now that we've each given our three both of us had this movie on our list. We decided not to talk about it, uh, possibly because we've talked about it at length on a number of occasions. But we left Inception off this list. Uh, and Inception is one of the best mind-mending movies ever created. Uh, but I just felt like we needed to we needed to say that we we do we did not leave this off our list intentionally. We we knew it was I mean the- you all, we also didn't talk about Interstellar or Tenet and those, yep. or, or Memento. Or Memento. And this, yeah. is, this is why Christopher Nolan is our favorite director. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, occasionally, like, we could easily be accused of being a, a, a too heavy on a Christopher Nolan podcast. Because <laughs> this I would could never. be a Christopher Nolan fan <laughs> appreciation podcast. <laughs> uh, so, we we could we could spend an hour rehashing the amazingness of Inception and its mind bending abilities, but we have talked a lot about Nolan about Inception and that in the past, so uh, we left that one out. Uh, I wanted to give a brief a yeah. brief shout out to the Truman Show as well, which mm-hmm. to me was so effective because I think almost anyone who saw that movie in the theater, me being one of them walked out of the theater and looked up to see if they could see cameras anywhere because it just did such a good job of making it seem possible that maybe this is all just a stage. Maybe we're all just acting like it felt, it felt real because it it made you uncomfortable because you saw yourself in those characters. Yeah. And if they could be fooled like that, could we be fooled like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one, too. All right. Well, if you have uh, mind-bending movies that are some of your favorites, send them our way. We'd love to hear from you and see what your favorite mind-bending movies are. And uh, if you if you do, maybe we'll mention them on a upcoming podcast. All right. So now let's quickly go on to our watch list, movies that we've seen over the past week. Rob, what'd you watch? Uh, so last night I watched a movie called The Slipper and the Rose. Mm. Um, not sure if you've seen it. A lot of people probably haven't seen it. It's it's a it's a version of the Cinderella story. Okay. Um, it's uh, in a musical setting, and it's one of my wife's favorite movies. And I saw last night that it was on Peacock uh, mm. as of yesterday. So we decided to check that out. She owns it, but it's on a DVD somewhere. We don't know where it is. So 
figured it'd be a good opportunity to watch that. And Richard Chamberlain is the main character. He plays the prince. And I like what this movie does as far as setting it up for him to not really be on board with what's going on with bringing all these people together to try and find him a wife. Like he wants to be a normal person and find a person on his own. He doesn't want as he he's like, why are we having a cattle call basically for people to come that might want to marry me? Um, but he ends up finding his true love through that. And it is, it is a Cinderella story, but it is loosely tied to it. It's definitely not the straight, version that you've seen on disney and i like uh some of the songs in it are a lot more intelligent than some other versions of the movie i've seen which i appreciate and find funny um then the other movie that i watched oh this is sad for me because we talked about earlier in the podcast mind-bending movies and what a huge important movie the matrix is and i saw the matrix resurrections this week Uh... And it was the first time I had seen it. Okay. And I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand what they were going for with trying to make the story an echo of what happened in the original movie. And we've talked about this before, where there's a fine line between paying homage to a movie and going too far. And this movie, to me, is an example of going too far. Yeah. Um, I know they tried to explain it away like this is a variant of the timeline or uh, an echo of the timeline but when the opening one of the opening scenes happened and the agent says to the police officer no your men are already dead like I died inside a little bit so it was like why do you have to go back to that why do you have to redo that there's no need for that and that's kind of just how I felt about the movie in general like there was no need for for a lot of it just didn't make sense to me. Like is what was this all just a creation of his mind? Did it actually happen? I I didn't really, I didn't connect with the whole, it was a video game storyline at all. It didn't, it didn't have any kind of emotional resonance with me. Um, and I, maybe it's unfair of me that I like, I just didn't buy it, but I, I was upset <laughs> by a lot of how they handled things. Maybe I'm being too harsh on it, but I was uh, like, I was sending texts to my best friend as I'm watching this movie. And I'm like, Morpheus is not real, but is kind of, but not, but he's also played by somebody else, but he might not actually be real, but maybe he is. And, you know, that's just kind of how I felt about the whole movie. Like to me, they went, they, they tried too hard to make something excessively smart and it just didn't come across that way yeah i i thought the uh some of the whole video game uh storyline there at the beginning i thought if i'm giving it any credit it was not what i was expecting it was different it was semi like break the fourth wall type type deal where they have an inside joke and you have the inside joke as the audience and you kind of know it was different. Uh, but largely I don't think the story works. And sometimes the worst thing you can do um, to great movies is to follow them up with eh, movies. Like 
sometimes you can just write off terrible movies um, or sometimes you can try to make good movies as a better follow-up yeah they're not they're not the the best but they're they're good follow-ups but just create an average movie sometimes just really so really like come on try try and fail or try and succeed like (laughs) yeah i hear you i mean this movie would some some sequels i think the best sequels work because they are able to be watched on their own Mm -hmm. and granted you might need some of the information from the original one. Like one, I, uh, my favorite sequel of all time is the empire strikes back. Mm. And to me, that movie you can watch by itself and still like, there's still emotional weight to it. Like there's yeah. still a good story to it. It's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like this movie could not have possibly existed without the matrix yeah. happening. And it, it, to me, it used it more less as like uh, an inspiration and a source and more as a crutch. Yeah. And I think that's why it didn't work too well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for me, the main thing I watched this week was a documentary called Lost on Everest. I am a avid consumer of all things uh, climbing the 8,000ers, the big giant uh, mountains. And so anytime I can get my hands on another, on another story documentary along those lines, I watch it. This one is on uh, Disney+. Plus. And it's basically about a team of climbers who go and attempt to find the camera that the original team of climbers who first tried to climb Mount Everest in the 1920s, George Mallory and his uh, his compatriot, uh, they had a camera with them. And nobody has found the other climber or the camera. And nobody knows whether these guys made it to the top or not. They, we know that they turned around at some point and died on the way down, but nobody knows whether they made the top or not. Uh, so there's this guy who like did some research and, and thought he had pinpointed a possible area for where this climber and the camera might have ended up. So they embark on this mission to climb Mount Everest and to take a detour at one point to try and see if they can locate this camera. Uh, so if you like climbing documentaries, this one's for you. I also uh, started watching Dune again because, of course, I had to. Uh, and uh, that one is back on HBO Max if you're not aware of it. Again, if you have not seen it, you need to see it. Yes, absolutely. All right. You got anything else, Rob? I do not. All right. Well, that is the show. Thank you, everyone for tuning into film for fans make sure you check out filmforfans.com where our latest article about our top movies of 2021 is up so make sure you check that out and see the real list of best movies until next time enjoy the movies